One way to get into product is, like I said, getting in anywhere in a tech company, building useful skill sets, and then moving into product. Another way you can do it, and I haven't seen too many people do it this way yet, is just start your own company. I know that's easier said than done, but just acquire like a hundred customers, and then just be able to tell the story of how you did that, because. You know, I think too many people complain like, "Oh, I just keep getting rejected." All these opportunities I'm applying to. Well, then create your own opportunity. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi, everyone. This week, we're excited to have Akio Bandol, product leader of ZipRecruiter, joining us on the show. Akio has been working and leading the ZipRecruiter product for the past six and a half years and has worked in marketing, user retention, research, supply chain, and even as a magazine editor. We're excited to learn about your growth journey that ultimately led you to product management. So welcome to the show, Akio. So happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, let's start the show with you sharing a bit about ZipRecruiter and the work that you're doing there. Yeah, for sure. So ZipRecruiter was founded in around 2010 as basically the product works as like a two-sided marketplace for recruiting. You know, you've got the employer side of the marketplace that are looking to find quality candidates to make a hire. And then the job seeker side, which really acts like a job search engine, a job seeking experience. But when we first started, we were just one side of the marketplace. We were an employer tool, mainly for like small to mid-sized businesses to have a self-service portal to post jobs. And then basically we would post that job across hundreds of partner job boards. And we found product market fit that way. And we were able to scale a big SMB business out of it. But after a few years, we realized that we needed to build a our own job seeker side of the marketplace and not just rely on a partner network of job boards so that we can have you know, much more control over the quality of the experience and making sure that it was part of the natural growth path for the company is to turn into a marketplace. And so I joined back in 2016 as an early hire on the job seeker side of the marketplace and have been working on kind of scaling that side ever since. And that's been a really fun journey for me because it was almost felt like a startup, right? Where we will, we actually were a startup back then, but it really felt like building uh, something new from scratch. And since then we've always been shifting and evolving kind of our priorities and strategies to fit what ZipRecruiter's needs have been. So in the beginning, it was just about scale, right? Driving, getting, requiring more job seekers, creating a seamless experience for them to apply to as many jobs as possible. Now, you know, we're at that phase where we're a much more scaled part of the marketplace. And so we're focused more on innovation, differentiation. How do we create a unique brand that will give people a reason to keep coming back on their own? So that's been fun. That's awesome. How are you doing that? What are some of the things that you've done recently that are exciting, some things that, uh, you know, are coming up that you can share with us? Yeah, for sure. Part of it is thinking about things from like a positioning perspective, like, hey, what are our competitors doing? And, you know, what are some of the unmet needs that aren't being fulfilled by the industry? And other aspects of it are like, hey, what are we doing well already? And how can we really lean into it? And where that really comes to converge for us 
is providing more guidance and feedback in the job search process. Right now, you've got you know, job boards that have a ton of the jobs that are available in the U.S., ways to like run searches or email alerts to get notifications when new jobs come up and easy ways to apply to those jobs, especially if the job board actually hosts the jobs themselves, you know, maybe one click and basically you're there. What really feels missing is providing more guidance. What we find at ZipRecruiter is that a lot of job seekers actually come in without a specific job title in mind. And the way the product is designed is very much based on job title keywords and basically things like that to help get you started. And that might not be always the perfect product for users. You know, if you really think about it, maybe someone like a product manager like me has a more specific trajectory with clear understanding of the different titles that I'd be qualified for. But there are many Americans who have other priorities besides just or have much more different directions that they can take their career. And there aren't really great products that help provide more guidance in terms of figuring out what it is that they should actually be applying for. And so our focus in terms of differentiation is being much more of like a career advisor and not just like a transactional product that fits your specific current job search needs. That's very interesting. As you think about that, how do you become that advisor? What are you know some exciting features that you've either done or are you planning to launch? For sure. The first thing that we did was instead of diving straight into features, we we're thinking about, okay, what is our framework? What are the principles that underlie what a career advisor does? Well, if you're talking to someone, let's say a recruiter, they'll ask you questions about like, hey, what are your interests, right? Like getting to know you. Our system right now is very signal-based, meaning we rely on all the activity you give us, the job clicks, the applies to kind of figure out what you're interested in. And it's an effective way to match you with more jobs, but we're not really taking any explicit intentions when it comes to that. Meaning if you have very specific salary or if you're only interested in remote jobs, there's no way to actually set those preferences with us. So that's potentially one way we can get to know you better. I think a recruiter will also help you make sure you look your best to employers. And so we're exploring ways we can provide more guidance to make sure that your profile accurately reflects your qualifications and background as much as possible. I mean, I still think a lot of job seekers need a lot of help building quality resumes and really accurately reflecting their potential and their skills. And we're also looking into ways we can, you know, leverage video and audio and other ways we can really enrich your profile because there's a lot of jobs in our country where maybe work experience or how many years of experience you have isn't the most important thing. For instance, in sales or customer support, soft skills are really important. How well does their traditional resume really capture those things versus if you look at Hinge or other dating apps, they're really working on enriching people's profiles through multimedia. And so that's like another pillar that we care about. So we basically have three or four of these different pillars, and then we solution products based on that. Interesting. Are skills part of that at all? I've always wondered when I think about my career, how much is my interest versus what I'm actually good at? Do you guys think about that at all? It's just more yeah, no, a personal we curiosity. <laughs> we definitely do. It's a really a balance. We look at like, hey, what are your qualifications? What are your interests? And then we weight those different things. If you go into our logged in experience, we have different sections of jobs, very similar to the way you would imagine Netflix recommending things. And so 
we have different sections that where we group job matches based on themes that we think reflects either what you're interested in or what your background is. And that's something we're continuously optimizing. And, you know, we talk a lot about growth and you've talked about how you have moved more from just partners to specifically think about user growth directly. Are there any campaigns or features that you think really helped drive that direct user growth that you're willing to share and others can learn from? Totally. So on the mobile side, I think having really strong ASO helps drive organic growth for us. So right now we've got the number one rated job search app. We do a lot of work to make sure that we keep that position and that claim. But again, when you have like a 4.8 or a 4.9, it means a lot more to the user than if you have like a 4.2 or a 4.3. It actually makes a big difference. Um, and those ratings and reviews helps feed into our keyword ranking and all the other things that matters in ASO. And so that's like an important source of growth for us. Um, also, like I mentioned before, you know, working with other job boards is a great source of growth for us where we can actually list the jobs that we host ourselves to our partner network and then we can pay them whenever they help drive a user to our site. And so what's interesting about for us is that a big entry point for our job seekers is actually the job page, not our actual homepage. That is touch point that a lot of job seekers experience for us. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's really cool. What's the importance of mobile? You know, you talked a lot about ASO, but did you think about your website and your mobile app? How important do you think mobile is in general? And have you seen that shift over the past few years? Mobile is really interesting. So I've been doing mobile now. So before ZipRecruiter, I was doing user acquisition for mobile. So like the common through line in my career has always been mobile apps, whether it's user acquisition, retention, or product. And I've generally found some pretty interesting themes. One is that mobile is great for creating loyalty to your product. It's great for retention and engagement. Um, an example I like to use outside of ZipRecruiter is Starbucks. I'm not Starbucks is number one fan in terms of the coffee that they brew or, you know, if you want really quality coffee, there are many great craft cafe options, coffee options out there. But I still love going to Starbucks. And the reason why is because they have a great mobile experience. You know, I love ordering or being recommended things in the app and then just going there and then being able to pick up everything just ready, ready for me. And I think that applies to a lot of other brands where like mobile is an opportunity to create a deeper connection with the product, which is great. And so we find that our most high intent job seekers, the ones that are most engaged, tend to also be app users. And there's always that potential, right? Once you have the app downloaded, if you have push opted in, we have a way to reach you and connect with you, even if you aren't actively in your job search, right? There are ways we can stay relevant. It's the same way where like, even if you buy a house off Redfin, it's still helpful to get those emails where you get a sense for like the home value and different trends for your home investment in your area. And I think we kind of see your career in like a similar. Yeah, I, I definitely do that with Redfin. I just bought a house, but I still go on Redfin. <laughs> I read the emails right, and I have right. not deleted the Redfin app. <laughs> exactly. The downside though with mobile is scale. I always find it tough to scale users. I think 
one of the issues is that it's a long journey to becoming an app user. First, you have to leave the site, you land on the app store, you have to download the app, then you have to either register or sign in. And so a lot of people kind of get left along the way. Either they bounce or, you know, they get distracted by something. And then from an acquisition perspective, it tends to be more expensive to acquire mobile users versus web users. And of course, with all the stuff happening with Apple nowadays, it's becoming less efficient to acquire mobile users. And so scale has always been a tough issue for me. I think that makes sense. And I think that's true everywhere. I mean, when I talk about acquisition, I'm always like, acquire on the web and then retain in mobile. And even one of our products is right, taking users from web to app. And I think that's kind of my spiel. I know that not everyone agrees with this, but yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's been a lot of my talks have been around that. Let's talk more about, I think what's really interesting is that you're doing product now, but your career to get into product has not been, you know, you didn't start with product and people always wonder, how do I become a product manager? What's the journey to that? And I'd love to hear about yours. It's a pretty cool one. Tell us how you got into product. I know some of it already because I stalked you, but I, I want to hear it from you. <laughs> I guess the takeaway I'll start with is that if you have a plan for your career, don't make short-sighted decisions, play the long game. And what I mean by that is I started off my career more in the marketing side than the product side of things. And when the opportunity to do product came up, it was actually going to be a step down for me from like a pay perspective. But because I knew in the long run, right, I love helping design experiences that thousands of people will interact with. And I love the planning phase of that and working with different stakeholders to push a vision along. I already knew inherently that product was something I would be better at and is something that I'm more interested in versus being like a mediocre analyst for my whole career. It turned out to be the right decision. And in the long run, I think the money and all of that stuff comes with being passionate about what you're doing and making progress in there. And so I just made a decision a few years into my career that if a product opportunity came up, that I would be willing to maybe take a short-term loss on, you know, whatever uh, salary or benefits in exchange for that. I've always been focused on mobile, but I basically leveraged my mobile experience and understanding how to grow an app into a product role. So that's definitely one way you can do it is develop a set of expertise in a certain area that is tangential to product. And then once you've developed the credibility in a company and some leverage, use that to move into a product role when it becomes available. I also think this is great because it helps develop underlying hard skills that you can still use as a product manager. You know, I've seen a lot of people from data science become successful product managers and they bring all the experience they have doing research and analysis, right, for product. Or if you have an engineering background, you can leverage that. You know, I come from like a marketing and analytics background, so I, I brought that. If you just start in product from the beginning of your career, you can do it that way too, but you end up really starting off too generalist almost as a mindset. And to answer your other question, so one way to get into product is, like I said, getting in anywhere in a tech company, building useful skill sets, and then moving into product. Another way you can do it, and I haven't seen too many people do it this way yet, is just start your own company. I know that's easier said than done, but just acquire like 100 customers and then just be able to tell the story of how you did that. Because 
you know, I think too many people complain like, oh, I just keep getting rejected all these opportunities I'm applying to. Well, then create your own opportunity. It shows that you're a self-starter. There are a million product managers that can do optimization work. There's only a small handful that can do real like zero to one kind of work. And so you're showing that ability. And you're also able to actually tell the story of how you built and marketed and shipped the product, which gives you a much better end-to-end understanding of how a business works, which I also think is very valuable. So I think to anyone who's struggling to get into product, don't feel too discouraged. Be creative. Think out of the box. And that will also be a tool set that's useful once you become a product manager. Yeah, I actually know quite a few founders who, you know, their company didn't work out and they're now they're like very high up in product at Facebook or like some of these big companies. And that was, I do think, failed entrepreneurs make quite good product managers. So I think that's actually a really good one. It's okay if you fail. And if you don't fail, great, you have a company. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I mean, I would say like zero to one work is by far the hardest work to do. Really finding product market fit for something different. Nine out of 10 times, it's probably going to fail, you know? And so I think there's nothing wrong with trying something on your own and failing as long as you have good takeaways that you can take from it. So, well, first of all, I saw you also went to Cornell. So did I go Cornell? I survived Cornell. I loved it. Well, but I came from Romania in the winters. There was the same. I also moved to California. I was like, never go back to the East Coast. I do not, I do, I do hate the cold. You were a writer and an editor, right? How do you think that helped shape your career in mobile and as a product manager? Well, I mean, for product, you definitely do a lot of writing and reading. But I would say, so that first experience, it was a music platform that a couple of the software engineers at Cornell were working on. And at the time, I was interested in the music business. Once I got a sense for the inner workings of the music business, I subsequently lost interest. (laughs) But at the time, I was very interested in music business. I had no interest or background in tech. I didn't know almost anything about tech, to be honest with you, at the time. I was studying economics, and the financial crisis hit while I was in college. And so I was kind of lost. I was like, oh, maybe I'll get into entertainment and do music. And these engineers created a cool like music platform where you can write reviews about artists that you're excited for. and You can actually play their music on the site. And I just remember at a certain point, the site started to grow and people were, you know, I was just a writer and the site was starting to grow and we were starting to get famous artists and DJs to interview for the site. And what I saw in the Google Analytics were a ton of people We would do like a marketing campaign for a big interview that we would release on the site and we'd get a flood of traffic. But then that same flood would leave the site once they read the through the interview. And so part of me was starting to wonder, what are ways we can like keep these people? Maybe we can start recommending articles below at the bottom of the site to keep them engaged and have them go do other interviews. And that's kind of where it all started, where I started to realize, oh, wait, there's actually like first I really love this kind of thinking. And two, there's actually an occupation dedicated to it. It's called product management. And so that's kind of how I got my feet wet. I love it. That's a really good story (laughs) of how you found out about product management. That's awesome. Well, the funny thing was too, is that those same engineers, they ended up getting recruited to Zynga when Zynga was a thing back in 2012. 
I couldn't find any job <laughs> as a non-tech major. And so I just got an internship at Ustream, which was a popular like live streaming service. And so while they were getting, you know, they had fancy software engineering jobs. It was like a party at Zynga at the time before the IPO. I was like a struggling marketing intern making $10 an hour and crashing on their couch because I couldn't find a place to lease. I had no credit history, no money in my bank account. So that was a fun way to start your career. Living on couches and basements and making $10 an hour and figuring things out from there. But the grit that came out of that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I wouldn't replace the memory for anything. I think that was really important. And then after that internship, I went into QA, did a whole year of QA, and then went into analytics and user acquisition and then products. It was definitely starting from the bottom and working your way up. That's awesome. My co-founder, Mike, in the early days, couldn't afford rent. So the summer between first and second year, he had a spreadsheet and people could sign up for a week to have him on their couch. So he did the whole summer where he just, <laughs> he did couch surfing three months. It's like, I have, you know, our house is only covered at nine months. <laughs> so uh, you guys can share your couch experience. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was around the same time. It was the summer of 2013. I can sleep anywhere now. Couches, I can sleep on floors. I've done it all, so. <laughs> That's amazing. Another question is, you know, you're in Hawaii. For those who don't see, you have an amazing background. So you've obviously like kind of mastered the remote work. Tell us a bit about how that transition has been for you. Any advice for people who are trying to be successful while also having a remote work environment? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny. Product was really never known as a remote occupation before COVID. Even before COVID, I would say a decent percentage of our software engineers were pretty distributed and living in other cities. But product was always thought of as like an on the ground thing. And the reason why is because you have to take a ton of different signal around what's happening in the business and be able to triangulate that to make decisions that are relevant to you. There is just always a lot going on that you kind of need to pick up on and need to do a lot of coordinating work. If you're at a company like ZipRecruiter, where almost 90% of people are working remote, it's a lot easier to do product work. If it's, let's say, half the people were in the office, I think it'd be a lot harder to do this. And so I think if you want to be a remote product manager, you have to be very conscious about how the company is actually set up. Meaning I were at a company that was remote friendly, but most of my team were going into the same office, I would feel a little bit weird about being remote, you know, and it's probably still doable, but I don't think I'd be as effective at my job. Another helpful thing to keep in mind is that I actually find myself to be more productive being remote in terms of getting my own work done, but collaboration and planning is much easier to do in person still. And so we make a conscious effort to meet at least every two to three months in person, at least to make sure that we feel good about our quarterly plans and stuff like that. And so, you know, we've gone as a company transitioning from absolutely no in-persons to last year, slowly transitioning to having a little bit more in-persons to now having like a cadence where we can know that during these times of years, we're going to meet. And the cool thing is the company has actually been kind of leaning into it by picking different cities for us to meet in. 
We did a product offsite in Chicago a few months ago. We're going to do another one in Austin. So it's a great team building opportunity too. It's an opportunity for us to like explore a new city while we're also being productive. Wow, that's cool. I love that. And I think that makes sense. We do it too. I think we should probably do it more often. Our marketing team definitely doesn't do it as often, but it's really interesting to hear. Yeah, it's helpful. And it also helps make people, especially new people joining the company. We have a lot of new fresh faces, it really helps them feel more connected with the company. A few months ago, we had a offsite that also included a sales offsite. And I, I forgot just how big that side of the company is. And like when you're isolated in a remote environment, you don't sometimes have a, a real picture of this is a company full of hundreds, if not thousands of employees doing all these different things. So it's cool to have that opportunity in person. The last thing I'll say about remote is that for me, it's been one of the best things that I think has ever happened in my life. I love the opportunity to explore new places. I love surfing. That's my big hobby outside of work. And having the opportunity to do those things. My family lives in New York City. I've gotten to see my family way more, spend more quality time with them than I've ever had the opportunity to before as someone who had to commute to an office in California. And I don't feel like in any way I've been less productive. If anything, I think I've been more effective at my work because I feel so motivated by this kind of new way of living your life. And so for me, I'm super grateful for like having the opportunity to like work remotely and live in Hawaii. And I really hope that this trend is a part of a bigger trend for tech because I know that a lot of companies are looking to try to tighten things and bring people back into the office. But this is a great retention or talent acquisition tactic as well, is to really sell the remote life. I love it. I think we're thinking a lot about the branch, how to do this well, how to keep a balance. So definitely you're giving me a lot to think about just hearing you speak about this. So I appreciate it. Last question before we go into our lightning round, which is our fun random question round. But you know, you've done a lot in your career and growth. What's something about you that you think influenced your career that we wouldn't be able to find in a Google or LinkedIn search? What influenced the way I do product or... Or just who you are and your philosophy of post-product and your career and, you know, just for our audience to get to know you better. Totally, totally. Well, like I said, surfing is like a big part of my life outside of work, but I treat both things as it's like a symbiosis that feeds each other. And I think it's very helpful in life to have like a framework that you use that helps you make important life decisions. And for me, mine is incremental progress in both my surfing ability and in my career. Meaning there are opportunities that come about that might let me take an extra leap in my career sooner rather than later, but might take me away from other things I love to do, like being able to surf. And what I have found is that if I can just continuously invest in both little by little, that is the right fit for me as a person. And I've actually found it to be beneficial in my career too, because it prevents me from getting too close to the sun too quickly. You know what I mean? Really 
gaining real product experience on the ground before moving up too quickly. And then also by investing in surfing, I'm more motivated at work, right? It helps fund a fun lifestyle. I get to travel. I get to go to Europe and surf, explore different places. And at the same time, the surfing helps keep me refreshed and energized and challenged in different ways. So they both kind of like feed each other. And I think that's been really helpful for me in the last like five years or so. Wow. It's inspiring. I love hearing that. That's uh, very good. <laughs> I'm like, what is my thing? <laughs> I, uh, I love it. Okay, let's move to the lightning round. Sounds good. These are a little bit fun and maybe a little bit random. But if you had to delete all the apps and if you only keep one app on your phone, what would you keep? That's a great question. I think <laughs> the app I would keep is the Surfline app because no matter what's going on in the world, I need to make sure I know what the forecast is. <laughs> so that would probably be the one I would keep, yes. Definitely a very original answer. I think in the 80 episodes I've done so far, no one has answered that. So yes, one point for originality. <laughs> okay, if you had an app to talk to an animal or a type of animal, what would you pick? Well, this property has a goat that lives 100 feet away from me named Juniper. It's super cute, like this big. And so I would probably want to talk to Juniper since he's my only other buddy that's on the property right now. So, Okay, that makes sense. And then the last question is, what's an unlikely app on your phone that maybe your friends or family would be surprised to hear? I have Be Real on my... I have Be Real too. I don't think even most of my millennial friends even know what <laughs> Be Real is. I know. That's cool. I love it. Okay. Well, this was so fun. Thank you so much for inspiring us today, joining us on the podcast and being with us. Thank you so much. I had a blast. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.